all that good stuff. So we are recording uh, now. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching this video. I'm here with the world famous evangelist, Brother Dwight Smith, and uh, he runs the roads here all across America and does a great job. Great preacher. I want, I want you guys to get to know this fella. He's a wealth of information and uh, has a great thriving ministry, uh, doing, seeing a lot of people saved and uh, really being used of God in a great way. And uh, so I want you guys to get to know him. And Brother Smith, uh, why don't you just tell everybody who you are and uh, give us what your ministry is all about and uh, say hello to everybody. I appreciate it very much, Spencer. Thanks for the opportunity to be on. And um, I, I travel around the country as an evangelist and have been doing it for 23 years now. Um, been since 1997. And the Lord saved me when I was just a boy and called me to preach. And and uh, when I was about 12 years old, I was starting to drift from the Lord. And and uh, God used uh, a book, uh, a book about a gang of boys called the Sugar Creek Gang, mm -hmm. just written by an evangelist to uh, really arrest my attention and get me back on track. Mm -hmm. And uh, then then when I was in 10th grade, God laid it on my heart that he wanted me to be an evangelist. And mm -hmm. so I trained for that and headed out into evangelism. And God's given me a beautiful wife and five kids. And I'm very, very blessed. I'm thankful to the Lord to, to be able to serve him. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, brother. Well, uh, you're up in Indiana teaching in a college there this week, and uh, but you've got a great story. I believe you're originally from Minnesota, so you're one of God's chosen frozen. And uh, right. all those folks. And so, uh, but I'm, I was born in South Georgia, raised in Atlanta. So we are, our uh, physical temperaments totally opposite from each other. So, <laughs> but uh, not, not sure what a snowflake is. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We talking to, uh, you earlier, we were talking about um, how that uh, liberalism had really, had really taken over the roots of the Northern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. In, um, and, and I didn't know that until I had read a book called One in Hope and Doctrine. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, they had always kind of presented that, that the conservatives were always trying to make a comeback in the Northern Baptist Convention. And this is way back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s. And, uh, but that wasn't true. It was founded upon liberalism from the get-go. And every once in a while, they'd throw a bone to the conservative crowd. Right. And um, there was a preacher up in Michigan by the name of Henry Van Osdell. And um, Van Osdell fought against the liberalism within the Northern Baptist, and he fought against it vehemently. He had a paper, and he had uh, ways to get out, and he'd preach uh, against it in conferences, and he'd preach against it in his church. And uh, they were meeting, the liberals of the Michigan Northern Baptists were meeting in Traverse City, Michigan, in a clandestine meeting trying to figure out a way that they could take Van Osdell's church from him. Van Osdell became the mentor of um, Robert Ketchum, the founder of the General Association of Regular Baptists, who was a, really a godly man. Yeah. But uh, Van yeah. Osdell was fighting against this liberalism in Grand Rapids primarily. And here in Traverse City, you had these liberals meeting to try to figure out how they could take away a church and a ministry from this man of God. Well, in Traverse City at that time, my great grandpa lived and uh, he was a drunk and he was drinking himself straight to an early grave and straight to hell. Mm -hmm. And liberalism didn't help him get saved and it didn't help him get out of his drinking and it didn't help him get washed in the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. it, it was just bent, hell bent at that time on destroying a man of God. And that's the way liberalism has always been. Hmm. Wow. Well, see, that's unbelievable. Well, let's do this. Let's, uh, I, I would like to kind of 
for the folks who don't understand what we're talking about, let's step back. And uh, can you give us your definition of a fundamentalist versus a modernist? And kind of how do you define that kind of stuff? So a modernist, uh, modernism really began in its embryonic stages in, in the German rationalism. You know, really, you can say that modernism began all the way back with the fall of man and in the Garden of Eden with Satan. And he's always tried to question God's word, disparage it, confuse it. That's what modernism at its roots is. And as far as we know it in America, you had the blessing of God on the first great awakening in the 1700s, which preceded, and I believe precipitated America being founded as a nation. You had the second great awakening in the early 1800s and, and, and then really the third great awakening, which was a massive move of God, of faith, of belief in God's word, of pointing people to the cross, of people getting saved. And I believe that third great awakening really precipitated and the prayer revival uh, helped precipitate and bring about um, the freeing of the slaves in the late 1800s. Right. But then after the 1800s, right. um, I read this some time ago, Lincoln began with a in, a, in a unifying effort, he began with charity towards all, malice towards none, charity towards all, to try to unify and heal the nation. And that same mindset, which, which is good, malice towards none, charity towards all, it began to spill over into the churches. And the churches just began to adopt that. Well, malice towards none, except the devil and his minions, <laughs> and except the liberals, and except error and falsehood. But that wasn't the mindset. It was, well, let's just let bygones be bygones and not fight another battle. And we fought enough and shed enough blood. And so that spilled over into the churches, and that was a perfect door for liberalism to come in. And you had German rationalism at the, about the same time taking place in Germany. Men would get trained here in American seminaries and in colleges, and then they would go to Germany, and they would get schooled in infidelity and unbelief. And then they would come back, and they would fill the pulpits with infidelity and unbelief. And so you had liberalism and modernism creep in. And basically liberalism and modernism, though there might be some different nuances, it basically is a questioning of God's word, a denial, out and out denial of God's word, a denial of the virgin birth, a denial of the blood atonement. And so that's what liberalism is. So then in the early 1900s, a group of men said, no, wait, 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 wait. We're not okay with this. Men like uh, R.A. Torrey and uh, men like B G. Beecham Vick, he was a little later, T.T. Uh, Shields, um, uh, you had W.B. Riley, um, all these men, and they stood against the liberalism in the early 1900s, and they created what was called the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And they basically said, we believe in the virgin birth, we believe in the blood atonement, we believe in the Bible as the word of God, we believe in the return of Christ. And they came up with a pill, several pillars. And it wasn't just that they believed these things. They were willing to fight against modernism and liberalism so that they would not lose any more ground and they wouldn't lose their kids and their grandkids to this mm. filth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now uh, you mentioned several names there and, uh, you know, the German higher criticism and uh, I believe it was uh, yeah, higher criticism. R.A. Torrey was actually, uh, I, I had read that he had, been influenced by that but he rejected it into some degree 
and that uh, he said, no, that's, that's, that's bad, bad business. And he actually spoke against it. Um, and, and it's interesting that a lot of this stuff started on the end of, a, of the civil war. And, uh, and I, I've kind of told people for years, you know, Abraham Lincoln was not this spiritual hero that everybody's making him out to be. There was, there was some dangerous leanings that he had and such like that. Uh, but we, what, why don't you explain to us, um, can you point out in your mind, uh, I can think of a few, but people that were theological liberals, like I, for one, the one that always comes to my mind is Martin Luther King. And I've got his college uh, papers that he wrote where he actually flat out denied the virgin birth. I mean, he's one of those guys who believed that Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary was a prostitute and that, you know, all that he was, that Jesus was a product of a, of a prostitute and a Roman soldier. I, I mean, he put that in print in college and I've got that. What other theological liberals do you know of that you can think of that people today would, that would say, man, wow, I didn't know he believed that. Hmm. Well, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, he was the power of positive thinking and he was kind of like the grandfather of the modern day Joel Osteen and some of the other prosperity gospel is very positive, had a very positive spin on everything. Mm. But these men were liberals. Henry, Harry Emerson Fosdick, he was, mm. he was uh, a liberal. Um, then you, you had that, that fundamentalist modernist controversy that took place in the early 1900s. Mm. And it, it's, it's just like anything. Um, Moody, of course, Ari Torrey was the president of Moody, and these others, the institutions were founded, but what is not fought for is taken over by the devil. Mm. And so there's always going to be liberals that come along. Liberals have come down the pipe, like um, you have, as I said, Norman Vincent Peale, um, you have um, um, men moving on down the line um, that would would be okay with uh, doing what's wrong. Some of them would be teachers at the seminaries like Duke University or North Carolina State University. And, and some of those are in the educational departments. Um, then you have preachers that are out and out liberals that deny the word of God. They deny the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King accomplished a lot in relationship to trying to get civil rights, but he was very much a poster boy of liberal theologians. Um, Karl Barth was a liberal theologian. Right. Uh, he was a boy of communism and uh, really had a lot of damaging, uh, damaging baggage, if you will. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, let's do this. Why don't you, uh, we, know, we know what the liberals are and we know who the modernists are, what they, what they basically believe. Well, tell us who, what, what makes a person a fundamentalist? Why don't you explain that to folks? So a fundamentalist is somebody that basically holds, holds to the basics. That's what fundamental means. It's the basics. When we talk about the fundamentals of a game, the fundamentals of an art, the fundamentals of a language, we're looking at the basics. So we're holding to the basics. And so a, a Christian ought to hold to the basics of the virgin birth of Christ, the blood atonement, the word of God being absolutely true without error, without fault and flaw. And uh, one thing that you can understand too is, is there were men that took a stand with the fundamentals of the faith. And then there were modernists that were fighting and come along about the, the forties, there were a group of men tried to bridge the gap and they said, Hey, let's, stop all this fighting. Mm. 
and they were called mm-hmm. the New Evangelicals. Right. And you have uh, Harold J. Ockengay, who was the pastor of the Park Street Church, and he was the founder of New Evangelicalism, which basically had these tenets. We're going to repudiate separation. Mm. Now, just to stop and think about that, they're the ones saying, hey, we're going to get the fundamentalists and the liberals to dialogue. Well, truth and error don't dialogue. No. Uh, Jesus said that Second Corinthians 6, he said, uh, how can two walk together except they be agreed in Hosea? In Second Corinthians, he said, is there any communion with Christ and Belial, mm-hmm. concord between uh, the devil? You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Right. But that's what New Evangelicalism promised. And so fundamentalists said, no, we're going to hold to the word of God. And we're not afraid. And we're not ashamed of the name of Christ. And we're going to fight for the word of God. Mm-hmm. The modernist says, we're going to fight mm-hmm. against the word of God. And, and then the New Evangelical says, well, let's bridge the back gap. And this is what they said. Billy Graham is going to be our spokesman. Christianity Today is going to be our magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, accommodation and appeasement is going to be our method. We're going to repudiate separation. So all, what, how is it that I can actually be an obedient child of God and repudiate something clearly taught in the Word of God, such as, separation from evil. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you hold hands with that stuff when you got a guy on the platform of the Billy Graham crusade who says that Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin? How do you, how do you fellowship with a guy like that? But I guess it seems like to me the mark of the new evangelicals is that they value ecclesiastical unity over doctrinal purity. That seems to be one of their hallmarks. Right. I'm for unity as long as it's based on truth. Mm-hmm. But sure. unity that is not, not based on truth is nothing but the Tower of Babel all over again. Oh. And the devil's behind that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think in, there's no doubt the most famous neo-evangelical to ever live is Billy Graham. There's no doubt. And, uh, and a lot of people, you know, when you say anything negative about Billy Graham, it's almost like you're criticizing patriotism or you're criticizing motherhood or you're criticizing apple pie and everybody's like well how how could you have something i mean the man got people saved how how can you have a problem with that and it's not that we have a problem with that it's that uh it's you know it's 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 more complex than that so why don't you explain to us what the problem with neo-evangelicalism was and the damage that it caused so that folks can understand we're not just trying to bash Billy Graham. We're not just jealous that he was a bigger name preacher than we were. It's nothing petty like that. There is a legitimate issue there. What is that issue? Well, let me say this. I live in North Carolina and I've been to the Billy Graham Museum many times and I'm thankful for anybody anywhere that was reached through his preaching of the gospel. And the truth is anybody anywhere that preaches the gospel, God uses the gospel and he uses his word. But there's a great move today that says, hey, it's all about the gospel. It's just about the gospel. It's nothing but the gospel. And what they don't realize is they're repeating history because that's exactly what the new evangelicals said. But, but God didn't just tell us as preachers to just preach the gospel. He told us in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Hmm. And he told us in Acts 20 that we're to preach all the counsel of God. Yeah. So that means I can't leave anything out. So in, this is the problem. In the 1940s, late 1940s, there was a real move of God. I think it was 48, end of the 48, beginning of 49, end of 47, beginning of 48. There was a real move of God in Boston. And there had been 
men in Boston and in Massachusetts and in England, New England, who had been praying for 15 years for revival. And there was a move of God and it spread around the country. But it's like so many things right away, the devil gets in and says, Hey, let me tell you how to market this. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you how to package this. And Hey, you got revival now, but you don't want to let it get too uh, crazy. And so here you can have a spokesman. Well, wait a second. The spokesman of revival is the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so then they placed that man, that mantle upon Billy Graham. And God used him in a mighty way in many respects in the early days. But then Billy Graham began to link arms with Catholics and um, people that were denying the word of God. And so that when people came to his meetings later on, he would never tell them to go to a particular church that would preach the truth. He would send them back to their churches that never preached the gospel in the first place. Yeah, sure. And so then you have a whole generation of people being reached, but not grounded, rooted and grounded in Christ and in the word of God. They're getting immersed in false doctrine, not sent to good, solid local churches. Mm-hmm. And so then they get, they just stay where they're at instead of separating from evil. Yes, yes. Well, um, I'm sure you know uh, Brother Larry Clayton. He's an evangelist, runs the road, and uh, I've met him many times. Sweet man of God. And uh, he actually worked for the Billy Graham Crusade, I believe, in Columbus, Ohio years ago. And they fired him when he was a young man because the, the crusade happened and he had this stack of cards with these names. And he refused to send those names to the Jehovah's Witnesses so the Jehovah's Witnesses could follow up with him. He refused. He said, no, these are new converts. I'm not sending them to a cult. And they fired him. And people don't know that. Right. Those are little things that kind of get flying the ointment, you know. And I'm sure that um, – and, and there were many people that tried to plead with Billy. I mean, good men. Bob Jones Sr., John R. Rice. Good men tried to plead with him and said, don't go down the road of cooperative evangelism and ecumenical evangelism. <laughs> evangelism needs to be pure, and the gospel needs to be pure, and it needs to be connected to nothing but the word and to the pillar and ground of the truth, which is the local New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't – that wasn't the, uh, accepted. That advice wasn't accepted. I think, to be perfectly honest, I think that Franklin Graham has taken stronger stands than his dad. But there still is that element of of cooperative evangelism, and we'll go along with whoever, and we're not that concerned about doctrine, and and that's that's not right. You know, that's not right. Well, it seems like to me that the um, that heresy and modernism thrives in spiritual and in in doctrinal vagueness and a lot of the music that's coming out today is just so vague it's about ooh, you are great you are wonderful you're how we love you and and you don't know who they're talking about and so you know the the thing is we're we're sticklers about doctrine because that 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 whittles down that separates the truth from the untruth and you know, I don't want to, you know, like, for example, when I went to the medicine cabinet the other day, there was labels on things because I don't want to take, you know, I don't want to take stomach medicine when I have a headache because labels are useful and they're helpful. And so what about it today where people are just saying, well, like, you know, I'm just non-denominational, which means I don't, I, you know, I don't have any doctrinal teachings or any, any specific thing that I identify with. Explain that to us. And why are people into all that? What is the, what is the meaning behind the fact that people are so undermining doctrine today uh, to their own peril? What do you think about that? Well, I kind of have an interesting take. I would say 
that a lot of these non-denominational churches, more so than say even interdenominational churches, are coming out with no name on their church label. And I really think some of it, bear with me, may be rooted in real revival. Because some of these people are coming out of Presbyterian churches that have that allowed liberalism to creep in. Yeah. And what when liberalism creeps in, Jesus is gone. Yeah. The spirit of God is gone. And they can have the trappings and the machinery of church. And A.W. Tozer said a lot of these churches could go on for years and years and never realize the Holy Spirit had left them. Oh well, because he has left them. Hmm. Because he's, not gonna, he's the spirit of truth, not the spirit of error. And so then what you have is you have the shell of a church. You have the church and the steeple and you open the doors and there's no people. <laughs> wow. And, and it's dead. And if they didn't have a church basement with a bargain center and they didn't have a soup kitchen and they didn't have mm, a few organ songs and a stained glass or two, mm. you would never even know that they were a church because they stopped preaching Christ a long time ago. They allow women in the pulpit. They allow liberals to deny Christ. Yeah. They question whether homosexuality is okay and the LGBTQ and all of that. Okay. And so there are some people in those churches that are saying, wait a second, this isn't life. This isn't life. And they're looking for life. And they may, in some cases, genuinely try to find life. And so they start these churches that are no label churches. Yeah. But here's the problem is they're going to the world's method and the world's way. And the world's method and way is you got to have a dance class. You got to have choreography. You got to have all the fog machines and the, and look like the world. Otherwise we'll lose the kids. Mm. So it's not, Hey, I'm going to leave error and go to truth, which is the Bible and stick with that. I'm going to leave one kind of error, which is liberalism. And I'm going to go to a watered down truth with yeah. a bit of worldliness, yeah. which leads to more error. <laughs> Yeah, which is basically yeah. the entire logic behind neo-evangelicalism is that, okay, here's right, here's wrong. We're going to try to be somewhere in the in between. And, you know, and I, I've, I've said this about the Protestants is that, uh, okay, the Protestants came out of the Catholic Church, but they took all the furniture with them. You know, they took infant baptism with them. They took all these heresies that they got out of the Catholic Church. They took all that with them. So it's almost like they just took a half step out. And so what you're saying is a lot of these non-denominational churches, they're trying, they're in a sense, they're trying to get away from from the theological liberals, but they're only kind of taking a step, half step out. Kind of, they're taking the, the they're taking the philosophies of that with them. Right, right. And as a whole, I would I would say a Christian needs to discern. A Christian needs to discern. Uh, we are told in our society, in the Christian world and in the secular world, swallow everything. Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> you don't want to swallow everything in the medicine cabinet. You want to swallow everything that's being peddled on the street. That's silliness. And the Bible says that a righteous man judgeth all things. That means he's discerning. And so he has a nose to tell the difference between a skunk and a rose. His eyes tell the difference between strident, crazy light and something that is a warm glow and darkness. And, and he knows the difference between the two. And they're not all the same and they're not all acceptable. Right. And so it is with truth and error. And, and this is really important, Spencer. Error never comes in a concentrated error package. Hmm. It always has to be watered down with truth. So it's palatable. I mean, just nothing but error. We would spit it out. It would not. No, 
But if I have a little bit of arsenic and, oh, say like this, eight or eight zero, I mean, who would know? And I could die happy. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What, well, you know. what error does, error has a little bit of error wrapped in something candy coated. Huh. Wow. Well, you know, the, uh, the decon poison, mousetrap poison that they used to use a little years ago. I, I read the label as a kid and it's 99.9% .9 cornmeal and 0.01% rat poison arsenic. And so uh, I was taught in college, uh, uh, Bob Dalton actually taught us this in college when I was there at Crown. He said, uh, the devil's plan is to give you just enough truth to think, make you think that you're getting something and just enough error to damn your soul. And I agree Wait, with that. So, so here you have it. You have error which doesn't care anything about truth. And then you have truth, which is repulsive, equally repulsed by error. And then you have this mixture in between, which is worldly Christians, carnal Christians, uh, compromised preachers, new evangelicals, which are saying, oh, let's just all get along. Let's just swallow everything. Well, they said the name Jesus. They used a Bible verse. I think it's from some version. It's all okay. We're all on the same team. But these two aren't on the same team, and they never have been, mm. and they cannot be, and they never will be. Right. Well, I actually wrote a poem uh, the other day, and it was actually a little, a few months ago, called The Wooden Axe. And I made a YouTube video about it, and I just kind of illustrated the whole thing myself. Uh, basically, and the, the whole story was is that there's, there's a man standing up looking at a forest, and he, he wants to get that wood but he can't get the trees to trust him, okay? He can't just send the saws in, so what he does, he sends a hybrid in. He sends an ax with a big wood handle, and the trees look at the wooden handle, and they accept him as their leader, and because they've accepted this axe, they didn't look at they didn't look at the shiny head that he had. They just looked at the wooden handle. He let all the saws in. The saws came and destroyed the forest. And so that hybrid is the most dangerous threat to the forest of God, is what I said. And uh, I want to just throw that out there for folks watching our YouTube channel. But that that has always been Satan's mo. I'm going to try to find a bridge somewhere to get you to compromise, get you to step over. And 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 it's so subtle. Most people who just are kind of reckless in their discernment and they just don't really pay much attention to it they go for it to their own destruction so true so true i am i was raised that you clean everything on your plate and it doesn't matter if it tastes a little off you just eat it and just stomach it down yeah. my wife was raised with a little bit more discernment and be, be a little bit more finicky and and so my children are kind of leaning towards her side of the family <laughs> and they're a little bit more finicky and sometimes you know i'm i'm saying to the little kids ah just eat it and swallow it down and you'll be all right and they're just not buying it so they'll take and they'll smell it and they'll taste it well what are they doing they're exercising their senses mm. and the bible says that we're mm. to exercise our senses to godliness not to worldliness, not to compromise, not to swallow everything, mm -hmm. but to discern what is right. And that's based upon the Bible, not what I feel, not what I've been taught, but what the Bible says, and then reject what is wrong. And you'll never regret accepting solely what the Bible says and rejecting what is wrong. You'll never regret it. There's a life of joy there. There's a promise there. Second Corinthians 6 says, come out from among them and be a separate. And then he says, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. There's a promise 
when separation and a joy that comes when we separate from that which is evil and worldly to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the word of God, there's blessing and joy there. That's what I want. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we've been talking about compromise and all that kind of stuff. And um, the one thing I, I wanted to throw out there and you tell me what you think. I, I've been studying uh, Genesis chapter three and the fall of man and how Satan manipulated all that. And I actually been reading John Phillips commentary on Genesis, one of the best commentaries ever on Genesis. I, I really enjoy John Phillips work. Um, he, he kind of made the idea and I've noticed this, a lot of commentators kind of hit on this, but canonically, the very first word that Satan says in the Bible, not, not chronologically, but canonically, is the word yay, and which is another derivative of the word yes. And so it's almost like Satan is a positive thinker. He, he's, he's a, you know, and that seems like heresy is always nice. Um, Joel Osteen is extremely nice and extremely loving. And I'm sure, you know, if, if you were to sit across the table and eat a meal with a guy like that, I mean, you, you would, you would never have a crossword with a guy. I mean, the guy, they, these people just, they thrive and they excel at being likable and being kind and being overly positive. And does that seem to be like an MO for you of compromisers and liberalism? Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember the, the guy with the best disposition in the room mm -hmm. is a con artist. Oh. <laughs> the con artist has the best disposition. Why? Because he's always trying to work it, work the crowd, work the angle. Absolutely. There's something to that. And you know, I would, you know, I, I definitely have problems with Joel Osteen, big problems. But you know, I would back up and I don't know who all is in the YouTube crowd that you, you that watch, but I would I would step back. And let's talk about an idea, and then we'll narrow it down. But the idea is truth is what we hold to, the Word of God. Every word in God's, in, in the Bible, truth. We reject anything that would counter that, attack that, undermine that, destroy that. And so here you have Joel Osteen coming along, and it's all flashy and positive and smiles and your best life now. Well, he got it from Norman Vincent Peale. And then I would even go even more specifically in the world of fundamental Bible believing folk. You've got the professor at a seminary or even a, a Christian college that with a smile and with a winsome personality and with intellectual wit smiles and says, it, yeah, yes, but is it really what God said? And then I would even go to some modern day preachers like some of these men uh, out West uh, Josh Tice and John Beasley and these others that oh they've got such positive way about them mm. and and they always want to put you at ease and, and and talk nice and yes then they question God's word <laughs> these guys are telling us oh, we've only two percent of the Bible isn't really good I mean it's 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 nothing really bad you know it doesn't affect any major doctor well wait I've been thinking about that what what 2% of the Bible do I want to get rid of or give up? I mean, you start to think about that and you've got whole chapters and books that you got to throw out. Mm. And, and why again, am I wanting to do that? <laughs> I don't want to give up any of that, but mm. they come always with a smile, always with, you know, I've got a neighbor and um, we've had coyotes in our back of our house. We, we, we're kind of, butted up next to 80 acres of woods that's not ours but 
it's uh, coyotes come back in there and they ruin the deer hunting and everything. So he says, yeah, I fixed some of those coyotes. I said, what'd you do? He said, I went and I took the deer carcass that I killed and I took it out in the field and I poured antifreeze all in it. And the coyotes come and they lick it all up. Oh man, that tastes good. Ooh, there's mm. something tasty about that. And they go off and die. And that's exactly the way the devil comes. Make, make, make error palatable. How can I do that with a smile, a winsome way? Hmm. Wow. Well, see that, uh, you know, they, they accuse us, you know, more conservative fundamental guys all the time of having a bad spirit. And it, that's, that's their angle. And it doesn't, we live in a day where it's almost like there's people argue couth over truth. It's not what you said it's how you said it. And, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I, kind of like to think of myself as a nice guy, you know, but when you're dealing with absolute truths in the Bible and God says, you know, this is how it is, um, man, people are just like, oh, you have a bad spirit, which is, it's almost like that's not the issue. My spirit's not the issue or my disposition is not the issue. It's the Bible's position on sin and wickedness. And, and, and it's almost like that, that's a distraction away from that. And, uh, so I, that, that bothers me because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a jerk and I, you know, I've taken a strong stand and you're not a jerk. You're a nice guy. I've talked to you many times. I mean, you're a great guy. Uh, but they, they always say, you know, well, these guys, they just have bad spirits. And that, that has just been weird. <laughs> well, the first, the first thing that a smiling con artist will do is attack a smiling truth teller oh boy. or police officer and he'll attack his disposition. And and I believe in speaking the truth in love. I don't believe in being a jerk or hateful or mean-spirited, but I can be as loving and kind as possible. And a con artist is going to attack my disposition when he knows he's lost the argument. Mm. And that's purely a distraction measure. Mm. So it really isn't. My, the point isn't my disposition. I mean, all things being equal, the point is, what is the truth of God's word? And you think about this. What was um, hmm, Elijah's disposition when he pointed his sword and ran the 400 prophets of Baal off the mountain? Yeah, or Micaiah's disposition when he did the same? Or Jesus' disposition when he ran the money changers out of the temple? Or Paul's disposition when he withstood Peter to the face? Uh, you've got a lot of those in the Bible. And what did Ahab, the first thing he said to Elijah was, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Always pointing the finger. And remember this. The accuser is what he accuses of. Oh, wow. And that's exactly what these con artists will do. They'll accuse, 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 just shine the mirror back in their face. <laughs> wow. wow. And, and I'll tell you, too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. Mm -hmm. Wolves getting into our sheepfolds, into our churches. And here's the problem. is It used to be the wolf was just somebody that wrote a book or had a TV program or radio program. But now with social media, the wolves bypass the pastor and mm. bypass the, the shepherd and bypass the local church. And they have all this glitz and glamor. And all that means is that God's people need to be in the word, prayerful and more discerning so that they can spot the difference between a wolf and a sheep. Right. Yes. I think I believe the book of James talks about every wind of doctrine that blows. And that's why we've got to be rooted and grounded. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to a man at our church just last night. Uh, when the winds start blowing, you can always tell who's not very rooted and who's not very strong. 
And uh, we literally are in gale force hurricane doctrinal winds in these last days. And it is time to read that Bible, know that Bible. And if you're in a church that doesn't believe that Bible, it is time to take your family somewhere else. There's too much at stake. And arguing disposition, you know, if, if let's just say, you know, I'm here in my house right now. If my house caught fire in the middle of the night, we're all asleep in bed. I don't want some guy come up and timidly knocking on my front door. I want the man to lose his mind. And I don't care about his disposition. I want to know his position. And the position is we're all in grave danger get out of the house now. And if, and, and if he were just to be like, um, um, Mr. Smith and just knock my door and, um, um, you know, he would be in sin. He would sin against my family by, by just being so timid like that. And so right. the truth is we need to worry about position and work on our disposition later, but make sure our position's right and always be picking it and trying to improve our disposition. Always walk in the spirit, but never betray the word of God. Never, never betray and never trust anybody who questions the word of God. Mm. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, well, brother Smith, why don't you do this? Uh, you know, we've, uh, th there's so much we could talk about and I want to have you on again. This is, this has been a great, great discussion. I'm sure people out there are going to learn a lot from this. You've introduced a lot of good names and a lot of good concepts to people. And, uh, and you've helped me because now it's not just Spencer, some crazy guy. There's, there's actually other people in the world who believe this and uh, men who've taught me this stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate that. Um, why don't you go ahead and just tell folks if, uh, how they can get a hold of you, your Twitter, Facebook, whatever email, whatever you want to do. Uh, so the folks out there who want to maybe get, get a hold of you, have some questions, something like that, they can do that. Sure. My Facebook is Dwight Amber Smith. That's my wife, Dwight Amber Smith. Mm -hmm. And uh, then my uh, Twitter is uh, Dwight Smith for him. And uh, anybody can email me at, at Dwight at DwightSmith.org, Dwight at DwightSmith.org. And, and uh, love to interact with you if I can be glad mm -hmm. to. And so that's your website, DwightSmith.org. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, praise the Lord. Well, uh, if you're out there, you're, you're a pastor, you need to, man, you need to have this guy. He is, he's a blessing. And, uh, are there videos of you preaching on YouTube or anything like that? Any way that people I can hear somewhere? Something? I haven't really managed all that somewhere, <laughs> uh, somewhere between my friends or enemies. It's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow guys like me end up on anonymous Twitter accounts somehow. I don't know how that works, but, uh, <laughs> we do. <laughs> You need so, to have enemies. If you don't have enemies, you're not doing much, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the if you want everybody to like you, go sell ice cream is what I've been told. Right. Right. So, well, good. Well, thank you, Brother Smith. I appreciate you so much. And uh, and thank you guys so much. You folks that are out there, they're watching our YouTube channel. Why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our channel? Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more interviews just like this with other folks and bring Brother Smith on. And uh, man, he's been a blessing. And so subscribe to our channel. And we appreciate you guys so very much.